0: This is the Serial at Midnight Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Serial at Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland, and this week I'm talking to Scott Ellison, a blues musician who has just released his 14th studio album, Zero to Sixty. It's on the Liberation Hall label, and Scott is an incredible storyteller. That's the thing that comes through in this interview. He is full of so much energy. He loves entertainment. He loves comedy, and so much of that comes through in his stories. He walks us through growing up in Tulsa and the Oklahoma area when the Beatles Revolution and the Rolling Stones are starting to uh, to have a serious impact on the culture, how he discovered Uh, Music, discovered the guitar, and then eventually moved to Hollywood. Guys, I don't want to bury the lead here. There's an incredible story about getting a DUI in Hollywood with Ray Liotta. That's right. Getting a DUI with the future star of Goodfellas. Uh, This story is so good. I will probably isolate that and put it up as its own video on YouTube because it's an incredible story. It is incredibly well told, too. So if you are a fan of music, if you are a fan of entertainment, if you are a fan of pop culture, this is an episode, this is a conversation you do not want to miss. So, listen, without further ado, let's let's cut right to it. Mr. Scott Ellison, we're Confessing the Blues with Scott Ellison.
1: We had a number one album in 22. It was on the charts for 10 months and did great. And then now uh, this one's getting off to even better start. It's wild. And uh so I've just been out. Heath, I've been out uh I toured last, went back out last summer in June, and then a little bit July, some more in August, and then um, the long was in June, and then um, and then this last January. We went out for the whole month and a little bit of February. So um yeah, I've just been trying to, it's really kicking up now. Kind of came in a little easy now it's just starting to kind of roll uh and going to kind of with the pace of the uh industry if you will the industry if you will how you know it's all coming back uh and i tell you i can tell you firsthand after being out on the road i can you can feel you know i've always said in the last couple of years it seems like the sacredness of music is gone you know in a lot of aspects and. I was talking to a friend of mine in Los Angeles a couple of days ago, and we were talking about how music, it used to be an art form. Now it's become a service, you know? So that's the parallel now, and that's the new generation, the way things are. I mean, you know, it's just the way things are evolving. So, but anyway, through all that, uh, the live thing is real. The people, I must say, there's that sacredness. They're starving for every note. I mean, they're, they're excited to be there and hear live music. Uh, so that's a great thing. So that's, I feel good. And then going to Calgary, it's all, you can feel it coming back, but it's a, it's been tough on us, all of us, you know, this business, you know,
0: Well, You're you're answering questions I haven't even asked you. That's on my list. I wanted to ask you how you thought the business had changed because this is your, uh, I believe this, this latest album, Zero 260 is 30 years after your first record. Yeah. Um, and so I was kind of wondering if you could just tell me, like, y- you're answering it. You just told me, but the trajectory of, like, you know, I think about 1993, and that's, you know, a whole. It, it feels like a maybe two lifetimes ago at this two point. Two oh, absolutely. Oh, before God. MP3s, before the digital. Oh season. yeah, right. Oh yeah,
1: and, and oh, what a, you know, it's so funny. History repeats itself, and I was just thinking this as we talk. Uh, Chains of Love was the first album I did. Uh, on Quicksilver Increase Label. I didn't know if they're still in business, but it was a reissue label in the Valley. And, uh, but they they got the thing out there a little bit and I toured relentlessly. Um, funny, funny stuff. This is a funny story and you can appreciate this for being in the business. But I was a side man, you know, played with a lot of different people up till I was 30, about 35. And so I really wanted to be a solo artist. So uh, fast forward, I worked on that. I spent my money working on that out, that first album. But the funny thing, I had a master plan. And being that I'm a new, you know, starting off as a new artist, you know, mid 30s whatever in blues, you know, it's like I'm actually doing the hardest thing probably that the human being could do to try to accomplish. Okay. I'm 35, which is, I mean, that's that's I wish God, I wish I could have that back in some ways. Know what I know now, but be 35 would be nice. But so back then, you know, you would uh, you know, it's before, you know uh epk you know before electronic press kits or whatever this is like you send the cd in a package and you send it out to the club i mean this sounds like archaic it's like lifetimes ago it sounds like i was laughing with my son about records and stuff you know like i was i was on this interview and i was talking about in the old days of like uh being 10 years old and trying to learn a tune like a beetle tune or stones tune and having i had a ge wildcat stereo and uh you know pile of 45s and, and to learn you could tell the dark part on the 45 or lp because that's where you keep putting the needle to learn that riff you know dun, 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 or learn the secret agent man or something that steve berry wrote i'll throw that in there right now uh so but i remember at a johnny rivers record i'm trying to, you know and i could see okay i'll put it right there that's the intro right you know so you go from that so start out in records and so we fast forward up to 93. So what I did to get my, I knew an agent wouldn't pick me up being mid thirties, starting a blues career. I already knew that from my buddies in the, in the blues business. I mean, they, you know, I had to scramble for gigs. So what I did, I had to te- I got a telemarketing job for a collection agency and I ran their telemarketing room. In other words, they drum up business for the salesman to go out and, you know, sell, like get, uh, you know, get a, get say like on Nesty, i'd set up a uh salesman to go out and get all the debt like anywhere from net 30 to 120 not much over that and they would go collect Nesty's debts for them it was called california commercial group i i trained a telemarketing room to to like do what i do i would call the c the, the controller ceo and say look i'm gonna discuss so i can send uh um, Uh, what how much debt do you have we got the best record of any collection days you know sell the agency like I'm trying to sell myself as an artist so I used that it was so easy for me it's like shooting ducks in a barrel and I wasn't trying to be fancy or anything but I could run my business in other words like so I'd get I got an ST the first week I was there so it gave me more time to make personal calls which I'll get into on that (laughs) so uh but be going to see where this is going so this what I did is they made you you know these was it musician magazine years ago, they made a, um, it looked, it's like almost like a tabletop book. It was about this thick. It was real glossy and it had every club and every city and town across the United States of America and every radio station and every retail outlet. And and like you could go, okay, Oklahoma, you know, go through all the towns and cities and do the, you know, just everything's right there. So what I did, I put packages together as soon as the record was ready. For release, uh, as soon as I got my hands on a bunch of CDs, I would put packages together at night with the bubble wrap things and mail them out of my lunch hour. I'd mail 10 out a day for like six weeks. Wow. I booked a 14-state tour. It took me a year. So, on my like I'd say, okay, I'll have Bobby. Uh, thank you, Mr. CEO. I'll have Bobby come out. I'll have Bobby come out and uh, he'll meet with you and get your debt, you know, anywhere from 30 to 120. We'll, we'll collect that for you. We'll do great for you fantastic hey fantastic hey i got an st okay i'm gonna take lunch i'll be back and then i come back on the phone and i'm i it's 1-800 number i guess the statute of limitations is, is past the thing that right yeah, yeah. now but anyway uh but we all have to hustle right so anyway it's like 1-800 i'd call the club and find out the booker so i would get the information and say as soon as i get a gig i'd, I'd wait i had to wait till i got kind of a big gig that people have heard about it's kind of like an actor trying to find. Well, I was on the Love Boat in 1972. I did. Well, that great, Bobby. Well, you could do dinner theater with us. You know what I mean? Being a smart ass here, but anyway. So, I you'd have to get one gig that they know about, and then you could. And then my rap on the phone in between trying to sell this uh, collection deal uh, to drum up business for the collection agency. I would ever every other call. It got to be where I was doing pretty good, so I could make. Uh, Scott, are you still making on personal calls? No, not at all. So that's how I put my tour on the telemarketing call for a year. It took me a year. I knew it was a master plan. So that's how I did it. And that's how I got myself going. And I, I thought about this for a long time because unless I'm self-reliant, uh, you, you have to, I learned that early. Like if you, if, if you got resources and you have to be able to pull off yourself, it's kind of like, I remember seeing Jerry Lewis talking about like he was talking about how he directs movies and he was sitting talking to somebody he goes to do what I do I know every aspect of that camera I know the clip the clip on the back I know where that switch goes there and where I have to do an edit right there and all this kind of technical stuff he knew he said I know every part of this with the every all these people do I know every part of this business in here I mean he it's like knowing the manual from a to z so Anyway, uh, I remember seeing that years ago as a kid, and I go, God, that's, so it kind of got in there. Of like, you got to know everything, basically. So that's how I got myself going. So to answer your question, uh, Chains of Love, that's how I got uh, going, and uh, with that method, of that's like arcade now. But then I saw it go from the CD, which is a real big thing, and then it became Lesser Than, Lesser Than. Mm-hmm. And then up to 2000, you know, it just evolved, like, You know, being 68, it's hard to say that, Heath. It's not easy for me to say that, those numbers there. But uh, I've I've seen the baby boomers of my age, younger, a little bit younger, older, whatever, have seen, we were, you know, in the first grade when Kennedy got assassinated. So we remember that. So that, tape, to cassette, or 8-track, to cassette, to CD, and now you know, download. So it's quite a journey on that, but I feel I'm glad I've lived in this period of time because, um, it makes you well versed and and it's kind of a thinking man's game anyway, you know,
0: this
1: it's, it's it's a crazy thing.
0: Well, you've talked about your, you, you talked about learning, you know, songs from the record. You talked about, you know, being young. I'm curious what what were your roots what were your musical roots what were the things you named some of them you know Beatles stuff like that but like what's blowing what's your journey to the blues you know what's what's the things like i got to pick up the guitar i want to learn that right well you know great
1: question and so my age like you know in 64 i was i was born in 54 and um i'm the perfect case for being a bluesman now it's it's perfect it's working out good (laughs) uh but anyway, yeah, born in 50, I was 10, and the Beatles hit on the Ed Sullivan Show. That changed everybody's life that's my age, a little bit younger, a little bit older. That blew me away. I knew right then I wanted to sing and, you know, play guitar. What really got me into the other thing, when I saw the Stones on there, and when I saw the Stones playing, and as you know, Arnie had gotten all the licensing on all the Sullivan shows, you know, all that stuff, you know, his history, and so I was... I was the Ed Sullivan show. My mom and dad and I was the only child. We watched that, you know, Ed Sullivan show was every Sunday. That was like a big thing. So when the Stones came on, I go, the Beatles look, you know, it was, it, they looked so like, I want to do that. But that looks, that looks pretty difficult for some reason. When the Stones came on, it was the blues-based stuff. They were doing the riff stuff. They're just playing blues from our own backyard. hmm and exposing it to the white kids. And it hit me like I mean, I was, I was like a white boy lost in the blues, man. When the Stones came on and did like uh you know, just whatever tune, uh blues tune they're doing. And um and I remember seeing Brian Jones playing slide. I thought that was what is that he's doing there? And he was the first guy to play slide in England, slide guitar, blues slide guitar in England. So, and then as I got interested, and in, I knew I was playing guitar 24 hours later. And I knew when I got the guitar in my hands, the guy that taught me couldn't read music, and he played by ear. He's an upright bass player by trade, but he could play guitar, new chords, and but he taught me just uh, chords and how to figure stuff off of records. That's how I learned from him. He goes, "Okay, listen, okay, it's an E, right?" And he just taught me the art form of like how to real primitive way of teaching. So that's how I learned. And then I'm playing in my band, The Night Riders, at 12 years old for birthday parties and you know, seventh grade. We're playing you know, these little teen places and, and uh, playing. Okay. Available.
0: Hold on. I got to, I got to interject here. Cause I got a question. So if you're learning to play from a record, the record's not always up to speed, right? It's not always spin it. You're not, right. you got to match the, 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 note, you got to find where that is. You gotta tune what guitar- if they're not, what if they're in some weird tuning on the record too?
1: Well, that, that was, you know, that made you kind of, that kind of trained your ear. It kind of made you, you kind of had to get an awareness like, okay. hackathorn told me it's an E, but I'm, this is a little so you know, a lot of times, you know, stroke tuners were, back then were, you know, they tuned to piano. I, I think they had like that big Korg stroke tuner, maybe at one point in the 60s, but they had to tune by those guys had ears, they could hear grass grow. Those are uh, the you know, the, uh, all the uh, wrecking crew guys, those guys were so great, man. They're all oh, yeah. killer musicians, and so they tuned to piano. So, sometimes an E might be swimming sharp or flat or maybe sharp or flat or probably more flat so you'd have to kind of adjust the e and we could use an e or whatever but yeah that where it became you know you'd have to get in tune with the record and find the one of the chords in the record where you're in tune with the record then you could figure it out because you're in tune with it but sometimes mm-hmm. that trains your ear you didn't even really know what you were doing you just you, you knew you had to round it off and get it right to be in tune with it you know and uh so that that was good and but the primitive way and yeah, it was a good good way to learn. You know, you had to really dig in there, you know.
0: It was a good way to learn because now we have tablature on the internet. You can get these programs that have every single note. You know, here's Oh yeah, YouTube. Videos. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys had to figure it out the the you know the hard way, but it made you stronger. It made you better it made,
1: at it. It made you have a better ear and stronger. And yeah. uh, it made you have to and the cool thing, God, I'm really dating myself here, but this is a cool thing about mono. Uh uh, some of the records are mono. I mean most of the stuff I got was in stereo, but yeah, anyway, the mono records, man, my buddy Rick Belke and I had back all the night writers. We learned all the you know st- uh, the Beatle harmonies or uh the guitar parts sometimes would be you could t- go the left side and all the vocals would be on the left or maybe all the music would be on the right or so you could like, what's that harmony uh, John and Paul are singing what's the harmony? what are they doing there? what guitar parts there? You might go pan it to the left or might be. You know keith's uh part or brian's part or, or, or the yardbirds another band that i fell in love with because that oh, yeah. they blew me away I, that I, that really the stones got me in the yardbirds those between those two and then but you could figure the tunes out because you could you know have, you could put it all the way to the left or all the way to the right and and it's you know stationary you could hear the isolated track of the guitar part, so or, or the vocal part so that it was you could seeing the learn the parts like that and pan it to the right and maybe learn the other parts. So that was a cool thing. So it was yeah. just it's a different thing, but you know, it was good
0: training. Did you ever see there's a documentary about the Rolling Stones called Crossfire Hurricane? I and- love that oh man because you see how much more dangerous they were right because the beatles, oh yeah contrasting with the beatles they're like she loves you no i love the beatles i'm not knocking the beatles yeah. but they come out there and you know they've got their act together and they're right. very presented and polished and then the, the stones are out there and like fights are breaking out in the audience oh like, yeah they're like, right everywhere they're punching people with his guitar and stuff and kicking people they went the other way i yeah, see andrew Logolam, their manager
1: i oh, love that name andrew Luke olam It's and uh So he was, he worked for Brian Epstein when uh, Brian Epstein was managing the Beatles. So he learned a lot of stuff from Brian Epstein. And so when he came over and wanted to manage the Stones, he he basically said, okay, we can't compete with that. So we got to go the other way. We got to be the devil children and and just go the other way with it. And and that was brilliant from the standpoint he knew how to, the secret sauce, if you will, had to package that thing, you know, having Bill Lyman pen on a, building and then they get it they, they, it's all a setup to get arrested and they, you know it's all set up and so that made but that was just i mean ingenious for the time of i mean millions of million dollars of free press i mean and there's no bad press back then i mean you know hey uh they got arrested again oh let's go buy their single while well, the girls love that bad boy stuff so they you know the 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 little 12 year old girls or 10 year old girls want to go buy satisfaction and their parents are going oh my god my, my child's being exposed to this devil music you know and then and then what really was cool for me is my dad god rest his soul he had the best he had great record collection anywhere from like ray charles bobby blue bland and then he liked the brazil 66 and my mom was saying with temptations they were like they had the top 40 stuff and then they had my dad had the the blue stuff and uh as soon as i got into stone start playing i guess he thought it was safe to play a blues record for me he said this kid's eaten up with it already so he's ate up with it i guess Jody, I guess I'll play the blues records for him now, you know, with, with total disappointment. Wow. But uh, you know, Like my, my son's into this at the worst nightmare. It had to be a nightmare for my parents. I, they they probably, all our parents of that era probably wanted to send us all to some doctors or something to find out, you know, there's a problem there with these guys. Well, what's wrong with it? They've he's 12
0: story. years old and he's got the blues. He's he's a white boy. And, you know, and I
1: came from, a, uh, <laughs> growing up in Tulsa, it was the, it was like, Evangelists on tv tv evangelists 24 7 heath i mean so i was a guy that i was drawn to comedy way before music and i could do voices i always got in trouble in school for imitating the teacher's voices and my parents would have to come down and get you know talk you know get me out of trouble and i was a great kid i just would like to and i you know never violence or anything it was just like I would just, I had a, my dad was, could imitate voices, that's where I got the, he's, he, my dad was great man, he could imitate any kind of voice he used to do John Biner doing uh, um, oh, who was the singer, he had the vibrato uh, Johnny Mathis, oh he could do him and do, he could do all these actors and stuff and he could do these German uh, field marshals uh, and imitate like Himmler and all these guys and just like, just crack people up, I mean, because you know it was just, he'd just make fun of him and, and could do it to the T. But he could do all that. He could do these singing voices, all this stuff. So I I just, you know, and back then it was all those scat comedians on Ed Sullivan. You know, all the TV variety shows. As a kid, I'm watching all these comedians, you know, Rickles and Jackie Gleason, all these guys. And so, and then I just, but I love comedy. I love comedy. So I, you know, that would do voices, get in trouble. So it was all, and music's a little bit like, you know, doing voices. So it all kind of, when you're learning to sing or whatever you throw somebody in there, you know, you go, you draw on something to draw on, you know? Yeah. 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 It, sounds it sounds like
0: you had a lot of support too, which is really great. Cause that's not always the case for, for kids who are coming up I did. Uh, even now to, to be encouraged. I mean, look now they're taking music programs out of schools. You got to fight to have music at school. So, right, right. You got a yeah. lot of foundation. That sounds really supportive. well. Thanks.
1: They they were they were traumatized by it. At the same time, I appreciate you saying that. They were one minute excited, then when they saw it was ate up with it, it had to be traumatizing for them. And like again, I say they probably wanted. To, you know, we're talking about my son's. He's lost to the blues. He's. We need to find a doctor to send him. I'm, I'm joking, but I had a friend that had happened to, and he would. uh you know, his parents, he was, he was more obsessed than I was. And that's saying something. This guy was like, I played baseball uh, through school. I love baseball. I was I played through high school. And so it was baseball, music, baseball, music. And, and so analogy-wise, they run so parallel in the professional uh, isms of, of the whole deal. Because, you know, you pay your dues. Okay, you're playing in Class A ball for 500 a month. And you're riding on a diesel bus that's about to break down. And you're playing in some of the small town in Laredo, Texas or something, you know, and then maybe you better start hitting or you're going to get cut. And then you start hitting and maybe move up to you got picked up for the next year. You got to spend another year in a ball. But it's the same. It's just like I've had friends that went through the minor league baseball system. And so as I played through school, it's such a parallel of like it makes the parallel runs. They make no sense how one guy gets there. The other guy doesn't. It's just like it's showbiz. Yeah. It's a skill. You got to be able to do. Be a little bit better fielder. You got to be able to hit the ball of five hundred feet. You got to be able to run like a deer. No problem. No problem. So, but that's you got to be in and to make it in the business. It's a funny thing. I'm a, somebody was telling me. You know, I had my. I was sixty eight when I had my first uh, number one blues album. That was my. This is my fourteenth. Zero sixties. My fourteenth. Something about the nights. My thirteenth and. I've had people say, God, what took you so long, man? What you've been doing this since well, what was the deal? You've you first out getting 93. But I said, Well, man, I just had to serve a long 45 year apprenticeship, I guess. You know, so long apprenticeship, but hey, an I'll
0: overnight success. that, yeah,
1: Right, right. So I just do these apprenticeship thing because I know what else to say. It's true. It's like I've had, you know, and I've done some big things in all these years, but the consistency uh, of getting with Michael Price, who I wrote most of the songs with on, on the, something about the night record and Steve Barry, those guys are on another level and of talent. And Steve and I produced the records and, uh, and Lou Castro, when I produced the first one, Steve and I produced the second one. And, uh, but Michael and I wrote most of the tunes and it's just the talent, you know, these guys have a know what to do. And uh, we just work great together. And Arnie, I mean, those guys are, you know, they, they got the secret sauce. Those, those guys, you know, Richard Foos and, his, you know, the Foos brothers and their whole history with, rhino and then of course the shop factory and then arnie doing all what he's done in the business so it's i'm really excited about being with those guys i mean i was a fan of rhino and i know you remember this you probably okay this is 81 so you may be not even born yet but they i'm not old but they but i'm younger than those guys uh 1981 they had that hit uh with belly vera at this moment on rhino records and you remember the history on that it was a facts of life i think was a show and michael j fox and his wife in real life they were dancing to the slow tune
0: that's right
1: because yeah. at this moment the record wasn't out i think that's this is the history on it so it might have been on an indie record or something i think it might have been on the indie. so they polished it up or whatever and so rhino picked the thing up and went to number one billy bear had written some tunes for other people but he was on johnny carson i remember and I I love that tune. And I was a fan of Rhino Records anyway from before that, because all the cool stuff they would do. Yeah. And I always wanted to meet those guys, man. I said, these guys, God, it's just freaking, this is my feel, this is my mind, how these guys operate. I mean, I just I I just got glued to what they were doing. And um, so that's why it's so fun for me. I was a fan of Richard Foos and his you know, the Foos brothers and and uh, what Arnie had accomplished and uh, I didn't know this when I saw an interview with Arnie uh, on some, it was an interview from maybe 10 years ago and I told Arnie how much I enjoy watching it. Um, it's before I signed with him, but he was talking about um, how he ran through rain, snow hurricanes, uh, you know, all kinds of nightmare weather conditions, you know, to, to push those uh, still the one, orleans that big hit still one what we're we doing in uh uh what's was something dance with dance with me dance with me so he was real instrumental so he broke those records so his history that those guys i'm just going man they're so deep in the business so they've been doing they know what they're doing they've been doing it so long and and um that's why i'm so i mean they're great people anyway but to be with that kind of um i was have what you know the, the pro models of the business I guess you'd say they just you know they stand out you know for what they've done
0: you've worked with a lot of pros um one of the things I'm kind of interested in hearing a little bit about is your session days when you when you hitched out to you didn't hitch but you when you headed out the Yeah, Angeles. I did the grace of wrath I did
1: the grace of wrath out there yeah and it's funny you'll love this I my dad uh he he had a brother Jock and his my dad My dad's real father, biological father, was Jock, and he uh, was a hustler, uh, salesman, hustler, kind of a vagabond guy. And so in 1939, my dad was 10. He was born in 29, so he'd been 10, and Jock, his brother, would have been 15, his older brother. And my grandmother Mary, and he uh, ran off with this blonde that was 18. He was 42 at the time. And went to southern california so my dad never saw him again so that was you know my dad would never talk about too much so then as i got older you know i say well, what a rat my whatever have my dad's parents and that was oh you know grandmother mary you know i was really loved her so much my dad's mother but uh the father he never talked about it was kind of a mystery so i find he was kind of a you know criminal not a bad criminal but just Know how you know, you know it's a depression, man. I had to hustle, you know. Sold some guy in Yale, Yale druggist, a, a seat on the stock exchange in Yale, Oklahoma to get him out of, and to get out of town with that girl. It was crazy. I mean, just all kinds of hustling, but anyway, here's a long story short. So, when I went I went out to LA to check it out for two weeks, I said, I, I said, I gotta do this, I gotta move out. So, came back March of '83. My dad goes out there with me, and um, so the plan. We did a little family tree thing. We're going to go look up his father and he knows we're coming because he got a hold of somebody that, you know, knew somebody. So my dad hasn't seen, this is 83, Heath. My dad hadn't seen his father since 1939. I've never met my grandpa. So he lives in a little trailer. It's a lane. The trailer is all rusted. It's leaning kind of, it's just leaning. It's not level. He's got a little pinto that the paint's rusted off, you know, tires are almost flat he's a night watchman for the school for a private school down this little pig trail and he's got they gave him a trailer if he has if he watches the school at night they give him a trailer and yeah they gave him the trailer in that car and paid him a little money so anyway he'd hustle other money and do other scams to make money so i'll never forget my dad's real nervous he's welling up. he's nervous i've never seen my dad like that i go and a man I, I opens the door and he goes, Oh, you must be Scott. Must be Scott. And there's Jimmy. And, uh, he goes, hi, dad. And I just went, Oh my God. So that was riveting, man. That was riveting for me. So come on in. We talked to, him. so we went, he said, Hey, hop in. I'm gonna take you boys for lunch. So dad gets in the front seat. I get in the back. There's like wires sticking out of the back. I got bludgeoned by wires sticking me in the, the things, you know, the seats, the wires that come out of the seats. I got probably got some kind of a, Legionnaire's disease from getting bludgeoned in the back. And i and, and, and he's driving like, like a maniac down this pig trying to get this little cafe. And and it was so funny. I forget, my dad goes, Dad, slow down, you're gonna kill us. For the love of God, Dad, you're gonna kill... And, and I never heard my father say dad. So I'm just going, oh man, this is this is crazy, man. So we get to the cafe, we sit down, and he orders for us. He goes, Jimmy, I'm gonna order you chicken fried steak, Scotty, chicken fried steak. Three chicken it because he's running it right there. He's running it, and he goes. Of uh, <laughs> and so and we stood waiting and said, "Jimmy." And Jim so got real quiet. He goes, "Well, Jimmy, I never amounted to much when I left. When I left you, I'm just an old coyote that broke a lot of poodles' hearts." And I'm sitting there, just like I look like the RCA dog, you know. I'm just going. <laughs> You know that rca dog logo on the rca records oh like, yeah so anyway but what a trip but i mean that was such a heavy thing because that was california so that's that's the dna history lesson that i'm uh, processed now we're going from cherry valley california where you met you know on in Los Angeles. So that's, so yeah, that gets you up to the set. So that, that gets us out there, but that's, it was pretty, that's a riveting thing, but it was kind of like, it was kind of like, uh, uncharted waters that at least I found out what I've always wanted to meet him and see what the history is. And, and so he looked like my father would look like in 30 or 40 years, you know, just like an older version of my dad at that time. It was just my, all those things came into it. So, that gave me a little mojo going stepping into L.A., you know, but I was I didn't know anybody out there at all. I just went out there. I did the grace of wrath with with dad. And here we go. Rock and roll. Here we go. My robbery story. Someone next. I'll tell you that when I got robbed. OK. Oh, yeah. So go for it. Oh, here's a good one. You'll love it. these are great. This is funny stuff. The kids that hear this about want to go to L.A. if they live in Shreveport, Louisiana, if they live in Helena, Montana. I know there's a lot of kids that will see this and want to come out to L.A. So now what, I, what I'm telling you here is almost like it's like it's almost like sound of music compared to the way life is now. But anyway, so what happened to me? So I'm I'm in Hollywood at this time. I moved to Hollywood. I'm staying with this girl. OK, real good buddy of mine. And Ray Liotta lived in the building and he was 28. We had this. We're the same age think he's born in December. But he was my best friend the first year, about the first six, seven months I was out there. Wow. And, and uh, cause Kay and I brought Kay brought me out there and I stayed with her and in the building. So we ran around together and, uh, oh my God, he, what a, what a funny guy, man. So anyway, we were hanging. So I go out and do this gig. I get a gig with this gal and, uh, real good singer. And, uh, I'm bringing this back. She lives in Hollywood, so I drop her off. I pulled my car. I had my West Paul Strat amp, some mics, and a lot of travel checks and cash. I shouldn't be careful, but, you know, I I had a little bit upstairs put away, but not a lot. And I uh, had one guitar put up there, you know, put away. And so I pulled in the driveway and I turned off the key. Turn the keys off, hit the lights, get out of my car. And these two brothers are walking up the uh with 45s, walking up the driveway like this. Hit the ground, MFR. And so they got all my stuff. The guy backed his car in. I heard him pull stuff out of my car, threw it in there. And so the guy holds a gun at my head. And the and the and the guy, I said, Cappy, let's go. Come on. And he's pushing the gun like he's kind of wiggling the gun. I said, I said, man, I said. I hadn't even seen the beach yet i just got here man give me a break something like that it was just kind of like i knew i was gonna get my brains blown out so at the last reason i mean i would have to death because i could almost see i had an out-of-body experience that really happens i could see it from above i could really see it for about a split second and then it was over so he didn't obviously pull the trigger i could have the car speed away for whatever reason he didn't pull the trigger i'll never know why but what i said might have saved my life but that was a movie so i was down to one guitar no amp and traumatized so uh yeah that was a tough period that was a tough summer of 83 but, it, but you know what didn't kill you makes you stronger so but uh with the comedy mind i kind of shook the blues off and learned to kind of laugh about it i mean that's no laughing matter but you know i found out a lot of people get robbed i mean i could not heath i couldn't i couldn't even tell you how many people uh from other states that moved out in Texas, Oklahoma, like myself, Louisiana, Indiana, Ohio, on and on and on, They've been robbed. Like, maybe the third weekend, I got robbed the third. It was like, you see all these shows, like, 90 days in, you know, or you know these cop shows, reality shows. Scott's three weeks in, robbery, you know. So, anyway, that was a movie there. But, anyway, Leota was a lot of fun. Here's the funny one. I'll, that was a bummer there. But, here's the funny one. So, I got a DUI. I got my one and only DUI with Ray Leota. And we've been up on Hollywood Hills. You can imagine this parting. Uh, oh, my God. And it was insane. I mean, just insane. I won't go into details because I don't want to offend anybody, but, and I want to make myself look bad. But I'll let you know that it's the most fun I've ever had in my life. I will say that most fun I've ever had in my life. And that's all I, God, I still can't believe it happened with Ray Liotta. And I'm just going to imagine. So he was on the, he was done some movies and is before, um, a couple of years before, uh, uh, Field of Dreams with Costner. That's what really broke him. He'd done some other things. He had, he'd done some, he always played a crazy guy, which he could do that better than anybody. He was just a great actor. And so anyway, we'd been drinking up in this thing. So we got a little, a little too drunk and I was driving and it was raining. And so we had to make a run out to, uh, Venice. We're in, um, Hollywood Hill. So we went to Venice on our way to Venice to make a stop out there. And, um, it was raining i had no business in a car even sober but unless drive i mean i i was, was hammered just blind i was blind, literally blind and so uh we're out on the uh you know splits out you know la where you split off and go you know the one you know the, hit to the beach and then we're right almost at the bundy exit which we weren't you know had to go to the venice we're right around the bundy exit i see the party lies behind i'm going oh my god and so I was so hammered and Ray started laughing that crazy laugh of his and goes, oh, Scotty boy, what are we gonna do? Oh my God, Scotty baby, oh, you're never gonna talk here. Your you're just like, you're never gonna talk your way out of this. I want I gotta see this. You know, he was laughing, you know? And so he got me laughing. And so I'm sitting there and so I pulled over and the cop is pissed off cause we, as we, so he comes up and goes, yeah, you're all over the road, man. Have you got, what, have you guys been doing any drugs? What, what else you got in here? I said no sir, no sir. Said, Have you been drinking? Are you drinking? Have you been drinking? And uh and Ray goes, What are you buying? And like like that. And so I just looked at Ray, and Ray's going. Like it was like it was like Strasbourg acting one-on-one. I mean, it was the delivery. I felt like maybe I was in a movie, nobody told me. It was a movie scene. The whole thing was a movie scene. My one and only movie that that will never be released. But I was in a movie with Ray Leo because this is a freaking movie. So he gets me out of the car. So I'm doing this, trying to do the thing. And, you know, touch your nose. I'm going. And so I I, I said, Officer, oh, so let me start again. Let me get my mojo together. Hold on. I, let me get my, my shoes. Here. He said, and, and Leo's Scotty, come on. Come on. You could do that. You know, that Leo is like good fellas. Come on, Scotty. Come on. You know, that Leo thing. And so, you know, I flopped. I flunked the test. So, Mister Ellison, please put your hands by. me so the cuffs go on. He puts me in a the squad car. He's a rookie cop. He knows who Leota is. Even then, he calls the Venice jail, and I don't know what went on, but some beautiful gal that was but looked like Heather Lautner's sister, ponytail, blonde, blinding, just freaking blinding. He's blinding, and. Pull us up there. So my joke was, was, was like, you know, how many, can you imagine how many female cops were fighting over themselves to have to go on that little paper there? So anyway, she pulled, they said, Scott, it was Friday night. So it was a Monday. Anyway, he drives off and goes, Scotty, call me, call me. You know, because, I mean, he would, but we were so drunk. And then when the girl picked him up, I mean, I do the same thing. I would have bolted too. You know, I mean, was, we were both drunk. And, you know, so anyway, I got lucky for the fact that the was. Took, the paperwork took longer than expected and uh be- before the thing was over i had to go to court and i got there my public defender didn't show up and uh i blew an oh I, I was i blew a 0.9 which then was uh below the limit and but they're going to get me for reckless driving with alcohol or whatever so i got there my lawyer didn't show up and there's this real high dollar attorney he looked like uh I mean, it looked like um, just an old school lawyer from the 60s, looked like F.A. Bailey or something. Real nice suit, had the ascot, real, you know, the the, the goal change. And this guy was 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 happening. And I said, oh, man, I got my public defender didn't show up. I got this, you know, alcohol thing. And he goes, I tell you what, I know this judge, I play golf with this guy uh, twice a month. I know him real good. Hey, don't worry about it. I'll take care of this for you. Just don't say anything. So he got me out of it. I mean, so I go, God. So there you go. So that was a little, and this is before I really got going. So it gave me a little, not knowing at the time, but it gave me a little bit of what didn't kill me with the robbery, the DUI got out of that. Um, These hard lessons were like, it was like, okay, I'm going to age you, Scott Ellison, three years and, and three weeks, and you're going to grow musically two years and three weeks or whatever. But it was a little bit of that
0: that's where that's where the blues came from you you, you played yeah. the blues before that but then you live the blues
1: I live the blues so here now this is a great LA story now, this is is this shows really my career and this needs to be said so so I moved to Venice. uh and I live next door to this VD clinic uh it's on Pacific and this, this apartment's not bad they were furnished like they had like a, a couch and one chair and really sketchy kitchen furniture and that's about it, but you know, dirty car, but look like a truck driver's hotel kind of. the lady that had it was a real cool gal, this Indian uh gal that ran it, this Native American lady, just beautiful. And uh, you know, at the time she probably like 40s looked like she was 30. Just real took care of herself. Real nice gal, man. Do cool as hell. Well she had this Indian guitar player, much Mud Mudbone, uh that's a great blues player. I think he lives in Memphis now, but uh that guy literally saved my life as far as get me a gig that was my first gig and, and i told him what happened what happened uh she heard me playing guitar in my first floor apartment and she kind of said hey my butch mudbone my guitar buddy's coming over and i want you to meet him so we he came over and said hey man play good so he played my guitar and i played you know and we started you know got, we're on the same page and he said i told about the robbery he said man uh, I can't remember her name. Sis, I think her name was, I think her name was Susan. They came to Susan. Susan and I are going to do some. We're going to do this Indian uh, kind of uh, chant for you, and this beautiful thing. They they told me they're going to do for me to race the demons out. I mean, I was like, I was a little demon boy from Tulsa. After that, I mean, I was doing good, but I was a little demon boy. I'm not going to lie to you. You know, getting robbed, and I was Leo and I were drinking, you know, drinking shots all the time, and. You know he'd come down, and here's the funny thing. So, uh, a couple nights later, he comes over, and says, "Hey man, take a shower, get dressed up. We're going to we're going to the hood. We're gonna go down to South Central." I said, "South Central?" He said, "Yeah, downtown LA, South Central. We're gonna go. I'm gonna take you some blues clubs. I'm gonna get you a gig tonight, man." I said, "What? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're when you're in that you're you're." In a new environment you know i mean and i'm so i'm so excited it's euphoria heath i'm it's euphoric man so i go take a shower put my clothes you know, put some you know clothes at the time on look good for a club you know and uh so we go out we had some blues clubs so we go to this place called babe and ricky's oh no babe and ricky's it's a famous blues club in downtown l.a coolest it's an all i mean she, this lady babe was the coolest black woman i've ever met in my life man i mean she was my she was like my second mother when i was out there wow i mean she she would like you know because we weren't eating very good we were starving all of us were, i mean the guys i came out there we were, were all you know scuffling and um so anyway he takes me out and Bob, it was, the name of the band was Bobby Williams and the Balls of Fire. Bobby was a saxophone player and he sang and entertainer, then a trio, guitar, bass, drums. And so I sat in with them that night and uh, did real good. They liked my plan. And it just happened to be the guitar player. And Butch knew this, so I guess, but the guitar player was, was a heavy alcoholic. And he'd play real good the first show and he'd just fall apart the rest of the night. He'd just be just all over the place. So Bobby said, Hey, man, start next Friday. I'm going to fire this guy tonight. You're on start next Friday. So anyway, uh, I started. This, so I did that for like six months, but going down. So Jimmy Karstein, I'll fast forward, is my friend from Tulsa. He played with uh, on that Rainbow album with Clapton, you know, the Rainbow album, the comeback album in 73 with Eric. He played on JJ Cal's albums. He's from Tulsa. He played in Gary Lewis and the Playboys, um, you know, and uh, he was a, a really big uh, my, uh, pro, you know he was a real big uh, hero of mine and so uh we played together in Tulsa a little bit so I was real excited to call him and I was real proud of myself and I was going I can't wait to tell telling but I can't wait to call Carstein. I gave him this all this thing about Karstein karstein's one of those guys will show up anywhere if, he, if he's not doing anything he'll show up at the seediest club that you could ever play and he'll be there for you right well here's where the funny thing comes out go, Jimmy Jimmy I got my first gig. I'm playing at Babe and Ricky's and and on South Central in L. A. You got to come down. I start tonight, man. It's like Friday or Thursday. I start tomorrow night. I just hear silence. I thought he goes, "Oh God, Scotty! Oh my God! Are you kidding me? Are you effing kidding me? What, what do you mean?" He said. Scotty, you'll get killed down there. That's all, it's the ghetto, man. He said, you'll get, you'll get you'll get, knife and shot down there. What are you doing, man? Who, who got that gig for you? <laughs> I said, does that mean you're not coming down? <laughs> so anyway, it was pretty crazy, but I was fearless and I wanted to play so bad. And these guys were the real deal. I mean, all of them had played with Bobby Bland in the six. I mean, these guys were pretty heavy drinkers, but they they all were on all the early records with, you know, uh, you know, Bobby Bland on those federal federal label back in Houston. I mean, some of those, I mean, they were on all that. They were, just played the blues. I learned so much from those guys and uh, learned how to play quiet real good because I'd always played a little too loud before that and they played pretty so. and I learned. I learned how to play real quiet with the dynamics and intensity at low volume and that's what I really had to be a better musician uh, to learn that and i learned that from those guys but what an experience but uh oh my God man
0: that's amazing it sounds like you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger that's the thing right I so far.
1: right I couldn't get the, the guys I couldn't get down there to see me they're scared to death they they, they they were worried about me I think they called my parents worried about me said you got to get him out you got to call Scott I mean I mean that was <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like we gotta get Scott. he's down playing with those guys so anyway it was great experience and um but you know, I look on it, and that was God's way of saying, "Okay, man, I got to toughen your ass up. You're out of Tulsa. You're going in the big city here with all these. I mean, it's going to be some goons out here, man. We're going to have to. It's like going in the army or something. It's like. So I got my, I got my. i got ai got a. I got a four year degree. I got a BA in psychology. I promised my parents I'd go to college, so you know that's a whole other thing. I went to master's school one day and then went for an audition in Nashville. I, 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 you know, that was my history. So, so music, that was my music school. So in that short period of time, I grew like, okay, let's say the first six months I was out there, I grew five years in maturity and probably three years to five years in, in musicianship in those six months. So it didn't kill me, and I learned how to play with these brothers, man. And they, they, you know, they weren't hard on me. They're, you know, they, they're pretty easy. They could have been hard on me, you know. And it's uh, got it turned down. You did that, turned down. You know, so and I get on me a little sometimes, but but I, I got. I start playing quiet, and uh, you know, the only drop, the only thing that did happen one time, the second weekend I was there, the Friday night, set the start of the second set, we were playing Hockey Talk by Bill Doggett. This is done, dun 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 dun. All of a sudden I look I hear this. Some guy fired a shot up in the ceiling from the front door. And he walked in, fired the gun up, and everybody just hit the floor. And I stopped playing. And Bobby says, Don't stop playing, keep playing, keep playing. So I learned right there, you never, in a ghetto club in a in a blues, in a ghetto club in any kind of black club, or really any blues club, I learned from Bobby you don't stop playing if somebody fires two shots three shots you keep playing it's just for whatever reason you're not gonna they know so i jumped back and i was going my heart's just going. Beep, 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 beep. it was like beating faster than the tempo of the tune, you know so i got through but there you go so that's the that's the dynamic that got me uh that was my uh fort benning parachute training or whatever right for that
0: yeah say blues boot camp as well yeah
1: blues there you go excellent blues boot camp
0: you know you there's so many directions i want to go here you i know you tour a ton and at one point you were touring like 200 dates a year
1: yeah i did right what
0: is the crazy is that the craziest experience that you ever had while you were playing or did or is there something that tops even that
1: as far as as far as any kind of uh Loaded weapon on a gig, yes, that that was – and my ears rang for uh, – I thought it damaged my hearing. My ears rang for like a week. My hearing was – it really messed my hearing up. Did you horrible.
0: even play? Could you even – I mean, you, I knew you're supposed to, but could you – did you know where you I was on automatic
1: pilot and shot because I didn't know if he was going to fire one into my Gibson 335 or fire yeah. another, Did he know?
0: walk back out? Like, what's the resolution of the story? Yeah, yeah, he
1: he kind of walked around the club, and nobody – and I didn't look over there. I just kept my gun, 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 gun. <laughs> and so, and so it was all over. I found out after we got off the break, everybody's like, uh, and uh, and it was over. His mother was drunk and lost her keys. So it morphed into somebody stole her keys. So her son was coming back and, and um, you know, raising okay. hell. So anyway, I got out of that one. But yeah, this, you know, when I, I uh, moved back to LA in 93, March of, let's see, September of 93 and um uh, got married in september i met my i knew this girl darcy from years gone by as this friends and then we she came to my show Tulsa the show when i was on tour for my change the love album in uh, august of 93 so we hit it off and rang up about a nine million dollar phone bill from la to tulsa after tears over so i moved back i got flew her out she we, we did the grace of breath back to tulsa then got married and then uh 94, we got married. And then uh, 96, my son Taylor was born uh, August 26, 96. So that was the greatest day of my life there. But um, so up to then, I and I still toured that much for a long time, you know, uh, doing a lot of dates. And I, you know, I it's like learning, it's like anything else, you know, I, I all the old guys, older guys that started all this stuff. And, you know, it's like, do what you do, what you do so well. You 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 have such a great voice, and 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 you do such a great show. And you know, practice makes perfect. It's like for me, gigs are just like, uh, you know, the way I look at it. The parallel with like, you know, I was saying earlier about baseball and and music. It's like you can never play enough games, and you can never play enough gigs. And you can, you know, I just keep growing. I mean, I never am satisfied with with you know. I always want to keep. I think the last night was the best I played this song because yeah, your tunes keep evolving. You know, as you play them, you know, you record them and get them. You know, so it's it's a grow. It's just nice to see, and plus, like after serving this forty eight year apprenticeship, Heath, it's nice to finally uh, get a little bit of action and feel consistency. Like, okay, now I've got two hit. I've got my second hit record going, yeah. and I'm with the best guys. I mean, these guys. You know, like I say, I was fans of Rhino, and then of course I went to the shop factory fans of those guys, and then. I didn't know that. I knew Arnie a little bit about his history from his video uh, history at Rhino and the innovating things. And, but it's nice to be people that, nice to be with people that uh, have been heroes of yours. You know, these guys, mm-hmm. I, I knew about him. So it's like, it's funny. And uh, again, I remember 81. I didn't come out LA to 83. So 81, I was watching Office in Tulsa. I remember like seeing uh, uh, Billy Vera do at this moment on carson so freaking great live and uh and rhino you know i just like so that had to be a cool moment for rhino with arnie i, I need to ask him more i need to talk
0: more about. let's call him right now just at the- say arnie
1: what was that like in that hit we need to
0: why why are you calling me right now
1: yeah get me on tv can you get me on fallon no, but uh anyway that was great and, and so i that's how far i go back watching those guys from the from the uh sidelines so you know, fast forward, the tape is 22. We had something about the night. And so Steve Barry has done these guys. So it's a real good, I just, they know the business so well, I mean, they know what it, it's just, you know, I learned from them, you know, I learned a lot from them.
0: Talk about the new record. Cause I want to make sure we hit that. It's it's, yeah. got a, it's, it's a stripped down sound. It's kind of a, um, yeah, if it feels like a roadhouse to me. When I yeah. That's so. what I wanted. I, I
1: wanted to make it real bare bones because, uh I want to be able to do, I can do pretty much every one of those tunes live um, as a trio because we tour as a trio and I got to thinking, you know, like I've always liked other layers and stuff and, and uh, I, you know, I'm kind of the guy I love playing in a three-piece format live and in the studio, but also like on certain things, maybe like on Chains of Love on the original one uh, on my first album as a title track of my first CD and it was more produced and then I kind of had a big production on something about the night i did a remake of it and the funny the way that came out was uh it was in 204 the change of love is recorded the one that's on something about the night Mm -hmm. and that was clapton's guys play was the drummer uh, jamie oldecker and uh dick sims from clapton on oregon playing on that we cut that in my studio in tulsa and and i the only and so i found it when i was making this album something about the night i go the only mix I had, the only thing I had left from that session was a rough mix of the record and uh of a like a, just a two-track mix. So I was able to send that to LA and and clean it up, have the drummer, uh Todd uh put uh, you know Mary and Jamie's part, kind of you know, clean things up and have uh uh Luke Castro did a great job on, on the putting a bass part on and then um um uh, uh Greathouse did a nice job put a little b3 on there to kind of clean it up so it was able to be get it presentable and we cleaned it up and be able to put it on and then marcy levy uh we gave her the master he gave Lou gave her the master and she sang some great vocals on there with me so it really features her a lot of change of love so uh but that was fun to bring that around again to be able to save that recording and be able to pay homage to my heroes that they were on i'm so glad i had a recording of them I and mean, that was i knew when they were coming, I said, "I got to get. We got to get these guys to cut this one track." So I, it was like the trouble I went through to get everybody in the same room to cut that track at the time. I'm so glad I did because it ended up on a record, you know. So that was cool. So the new record, back to the new record, is more stripped down. So I can really do pretty much everything on this record as a trio, even though there's some keyboards here and there. But it's like I've arranged it where you're not going to really miss anything when you see it. Do as a trio because I've got I play slide to a lot and I got an organ pedal that I can get the organ things in there along so I can kind of cover cover a lot of ground so you're not gonna really miss anything but that, that's it's more of a roadhouse thing I'm glad you said roadhouse that, that's cool. That's a couple I got a couple uh reviews that said roadhouse so that was kind of okay now I'm hitting the right thing that's good well, that's
0: it's- what it feels like like you, it doesn't feel right to listen to it in the daytime like you have it it's gonna be a nighttime thing yeah. yeah
1: it's a little more rough I wanted a little more live sounding just a little more in your face I went for a bigger drum sound. This is the biggest drum sound I've ever had in my life, and I'm a big fan of big drums on records. I mean, I'm like Tom Petty cracked me up because he liked them so loud up there. I'm pretty much close to Tom Petty as far as if you listen to Petty record, the drums, just, the snare drums in your eyeballs. But Glenn Fry had this the thing. My buddy Steve Crane, who we still play together, he tours me on bass sometimes, and uh, he played with Glenn Fry. And it's so funny, Glenn said, Stevie. The most important thing on a record is a snare drum, right? That's the most, you know, and it's really true. I've always thought that way. So on this record, every snare, every track that snare drums in your eyeballs, I just, it gives it, I just love that big sound. It just, I've always been a fan of that. And um, I kind of took it to the next. I mean, I, I mean, the engineers go, Scott, are you sure you want it? I said, yeah, I want that loud. Yeah. (laughs) Turn it down one dB. Okay. I'll go, I'll I'll meet, I'll I'll meet you. Okay. That's cool. It's pretty loud. But I'd like, you know, it, it, it just has a bop to it. It has a kind of a, you know, snap to it that it gets your attention, you know, especially on mm-hmm. zero to 60. I, you know, I played the percussion on the, you know, in there, overdid the percussion and wanted that bang, get the big drum sound in there. That, that gets your attention. Little Sergeant Pepper meets Albert King. Little Sergeant Pepper meets uh, uh, John Hyatt, Bonnie Ray, Joe Walsh, and Scott Ellison. Wow. I guess you could, yeah. 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 yeah so it. It's kind of a hybrid. I just kind of put all my, and that's the thing on that title track. I wanted a big sounding song that's funky and it's got the Bonnie kind of thing where the slide kind of swirls and bends you know, around. We, yeah you know, I love Bonnie's plan. She just got, she has that syrupy slide that just knocks me to the unbelievable. So, corporate little Bonnie in there, of course, Guy Cooter and uh, Mick Taylor and Dwayne Allman and Scott Ellison. But anyway, so it has all... Yeah, those-
0: see, I'm wearing a Greg yeah. Allman shirt. And the microphone's blocking it, but I themed my shirt for this conversation. Oh, oh
1: you like Greg Allman fan? Huh?
0: Yeah, 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 oh yeah. Oh yeah,
1: oh, yeah. Greg, I love Greg, man. He's one of my Saw, him,
0: saw him live. Uh, oh geez, it was a while. He's gone now, right? So it was probably yeah, right. eight years ago, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him
1: about eight years ago too. I was off, from, I got off my tour. I saw him at the Hard Rock, but I, I got off the road on a, I think on a Thursday, and saw him on a Friday and uh, he was hurting a little bit, but he was great. They came and they had the band was great, instrumental. And He came out and did, uh, uh, well, what was it, duh, duh, was it? Um, Might have been, was it? He do. Might have been something, something off the da at the Fillmore. Uh, it was just great. I mean, midnight you- was great.
0: When we saw him, this guy behind us was increasingly drunk throughout the show and he just kept yelling whipping post. to be like every time there'd be a break in a song and they get ready for the next song, be, Whipping Post. <laughs> right, right. like yeah. yeah. to Freebird. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh and he did play. He, they played, I think that was the closer. Was that that was the last thing they played? It was whipping post. Um oh, he's great. Yeah, I, I, where I, can people let's talk about where, where can people do you care where people buy? It? Do you want to buy it? So they stream it. What's best for you? Is there a place you want any, them to buy this record?
1: Anywhere. Uh yeah, you know, uh, order one. You know, I like to see them order it from Liberation Hall as much as possible because those guys are my cats, man. I love those, you know, they they they, but um, yeah, there's it's streaming and I sell physical product on my live shows. I'll have when I go to Calgary, um, uh, I'll have some CDs, but zero to 60. I'm really excited about it, uh, from the standpoint of I, uh, we got that kind of freddie king influence thing that's how i love my woman and uh really had uh i think this is my i mean to me this is my favorite album. i probably said that about every album but um uh, this one really has a special place because um uh, it's kind of uh really me now from the fact when i did something about the night i hadn't been touring and uh playing the studio. So there's always studio things you play. I, mean, yeah, I, I feel good about the playing on something about the night, but I feel a lot better about the playing on this because the improvement is such that uh, I've been playing a lot of gigs when I'm cutting these tracks. So the mojo, you got your, you, you're, you're stinging a little bit different. I just tell the difference. So, I mean, for myself, my own self-esteem, I think uh, this is my best playing and, and, and right. I mean, as far as writing, as far as, consistency from song one to 12 i think it's the best i've done with with playing writing performing whatever you know so i think it's it's what how i really wanted to do it and i you know i think about it, the next record be a live one i would think but i don't have to worry about that for a while because i've been doing a lot of records
0: well you i was you i, I didn't know if you should talk about it but i mean it's only been like a year like, what 15 months since the last one came out and you guys yeah, like two records
1: in exactly two years i think you know I'd never done that before, but the, the creative process was so was there so much for Michael, we just kept writing and writing and writing and just more tunes, more tunes and because like it was clicking so good. So, um, uh, but yeah, it, uh, you know, recorded two records in exactly two years span yeah. and, um, so they could, yeah, so it's, and so I, I look at it like the schedule on it. So like, I, I do like, okay, two eleven. um, Walking through the fire, 215, Elevator Man, 217, Good Morning, Midnight, 220, during the pandemic released, uh, Skyline Drive, something about the night, 22, and then, or 21, or 22, and then, excuse me, and then uh, 0 to 60, so it's like, you know.
0: That's
1: a lot. That's a lot of product out there, so I'm I'm good yeah. on product of for what I think.
0: Well, people can find your tour dates at your website, so ScottEllisonBand.com, right? Absolutely, yeah. uh Go out and see. Go, go out and catch some light. Are you, are you gonna going from two hundred dates? There's not a lot of tour dates on the schedule right now. Are you gonna slide back into that? Or are you kind yeah, of? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad it? you mentioned that.
1: Like you can see, it's it's you know like we're we we kind of crept it back slowly. Like we did a kind of a uh that warm up tour in January. We got we beat the cold weather just by we got some pretty cold weather going up north. Uh, mm-hmm. We 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 escaped some really heinous weather. Yeah. Uh, but we did, but that was good, good for us to get, you know, get our feet wet and and, uh, play these tunes and play some, you know, play the tunes and, uh, uh, you know, and then you can see from the schedule, it's more dates are coming in. So we've kind of more selective and it's a different culture. Now, like I'll, and to answer your question, I'll be, um, you know, uh, during the summer, Jean's going to be real busy, the spring, you know, late spring, summer's going to be real busy through the summer. And then, uh, uh, it's gonna Like, it's going to be, it's not going to be, I'm not going to do 200 dates again a year unless, you know, I mean, that could, I, I, I'm, I'm leaving that open and we're doing as many dates as we like, can. I might. Yeah, I might. I feel great at 60. I mean, I love doing it. I love doing this. It's like, I sometimes go, why do I love this stuff so much? Why do I, I'm it's still, I still have a little kid in me about it. I really do. It's like, I was, I got to tell you, uh, share this with you. We were coming back from, uh, we did this Arkansas gig last weekend and me in arkansas and we had a, re- it was a real good night and uh this girl had filmed us um on the iphone iphone 14 my mind uh ran out of memory so i couldn't use mine so you know because you want to have some it's always good to hear it hear it when you're driving and hear it back and hey man i'm playing the plan this too fast or i'm you know whatever you know it's always good that recording doesn't lie you know so anyway so we uh we we're so we were so anxious so we were driving so i Emailed the gal that, uh, had a little video on us. And so I got the, I was driving, I got the email that she I said, oh, cool. Now we hear what, hear what last night sounded like. And I was like, real excited. Like I was trying to figure out, uh, how to play, uh, one way out when I was like 14 or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, but I, I expressed it man. I said, Hey man, that shows you right there. I don't have to prove it to myself. I mean, I, I still had a little kid, which is pretty obvious to you guys. But he said yeah i do too man i'm i'm, I'm i can't wait to so that's where you know that no matter how much you try to talk yourself because you know at this age sometimes you go god how long and i love doing it i never think about stopping unless you know something makes you have to stop you at health thing or something but uh knock on wood but um you know i just love doing it man so i want to try to you know the way the new culture is it's coming back i can i can and like I said, the crowds aren't quite as big. Some places they are, some places they're not. But it, it makes up for it. The people that we play for are so anxious. They were just, uh, and uh, they were starving. We were starving to play it. They were starving to hear it. So that's a good thing. So the new world we live in is is uh, it's squeezed tight. It's squeezed very tight. But uh, there's a lot of. I think we're getting some of the sacredness back for the blues and the excitement. To hear it it's all different it's all different as things change you know but um I, th- I think we're gonna be okay a lot of a lot of chicks with guitars are doing cool doing great a lot of pretty gals that play great uh joanna connor's great uh ellie venable i think she's great samantha fisher some great guys you know and then got some great good looking girls who play great and then got zito and albert out there doing their thing the Bud brothers deal a lot of a lot of great young people out there doing real good and, and uh, makes me feel good being an older guy in the blues. Now uh, I, it makes me feel good for the future. So yeah, I've, I'm very blessed. And, and I feel, you know, it's kind of like starting over again, really, which is cool. That's cool too. I mean, during the pandemic, I reinvented myself anyway, I got to be better and, and just uh, use that time to make a record, be a better writer, singer, musician, and uh, move, keep moving, keep getting better, you know?
0: Wow, that's a great place to leave it. You brought us full circle, so mm-hmm. let's put it back in there. Is there anything else you want to talk about before I let you go? I'll uh,
1: just uh, shout out to uh, Liberation Hall, Anton, and uh, Arnie, and uh, tell them how much I love those guys and how much they're doing for us and having a good time. We're uh, uh, doing real well, and I know they're excited. And, and like I say, and we've talked about you know, more dates are coming in, and I'm being more selective and getting some of the heart. With the, you know, one thing that's good is the with the airplay. Now two records doing real well and all the chart uh, time, a lot of spins on the record and uh, it really has helped the uh, the uh, gig front on getting a little higher tier, moving up, moving up like the Jeffersons a little bit, you know, moving on up, you know. There
0: you go.
1: Yeah. As, as we go through this forty-eight year apprenticeship, there you go. Right.
0: Well, I'll put links to everything in the description of this episode so people can, they don't have to go hunt for anything. They can just really go enjoyed it. it. Um, I mean, I enjoyed it, Heath. I really enjoyed it, buddy. Well, there you have it. That was an incredible conversation for me. I was, uh, I was looking. I had all these questions that I was going to ask. If I was going to get into like, you know, what's your rig look like? What sort of pedals do you have in your effects board? Uh, You know, like, hey, hey, what kind of? You know, I was going to ask like, like, you know, 200 dates a year. You know who else does that? It's like Bob Dylan tours like 200 dates a year. I wanted to ask about life on the road, but our hour really just flew by. And when you get stories like the DUI with Ray Liotta story, the shooting. In the Blues Club story, I mean, you just, like, what a, what a, what an incredible storyteller this man is. And uh, also, what an incredible musician. So, the, I mentioned all the websites and the, the you know, the, the albums, I put album covers here for the last couple of albums. Uh, there's something about the night and zero to sixty. But uh Scott Ellison Band is where you wanna go. Band.com. Scott allison Band.com is where you can go check out the tour dates. Maybe he's coming to a town near you. If he is, you definitely want to go check him out. And if you do, you gotta say, hey, I saw you on cereal at midnight. That would be so cool. Could you imagine? That'd be so cool. So if you check him out and you saw this interview, you gotta You gotta tell him you saw him on cereal at midnight so um i want to thank scott for his time i want to thank you guys for checking this episode out please remember to uh review this episode to subscribe to this channel if it's on youtube to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast if you're watching this on youtube you know you can download this for your ears wherever you get your podcast and if you're listening to it do you know there's a video version where you can see the conversation happening uh Thank you so much. You can email the show, SerialMidnight at gmail.com. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. Got another exciting conversation coming up for you in about seven days. So stay tuned, guys. Thanks. Take care. Till next time, I will catch you later.